Hey, folks, I'm Tom. Keith Jones here. Big thank you to the Dunlap Champions Club, longtime sponsors of Front Row Knowles. Football season is here, folks. If nothing else, do yourself a favor. Call 644-1830. Schedule a tour of the Champions Club if you haven't been in it yet. Or better yet, purchase a ticket to one game and sample it. Find somebody who's got a member. I don't think you can buy just one game ticket. Find somebody who has has a Champions Club ticket and go with them. Check it out. Once you do, you'll be hooked. It is a great place to watch a ball game, get the opportunity to get up, get out of. If there's any heat, if there's any weather whatsoever, you can go inside. Multiple TVs, food and drink. It's a wonderful wonderful place to catch an fsu football game air conditioning air conditioning too that's important reserve chair back seats uh, you can do a three-game package for uh, 6.99 uh, plus a booster membership of 70 dollars or more if you include the miami game in that but just call the number 644-1830 they'll tell you what options are available and you can go from there at this point you've got no other option than to listen to the rest of this program here's front row Knowles broadcasting live from the prime meridian bank studios in the capital city of tallahassee this is front row Knowles with tom block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. How are you, KJ? I am better. You're better. I am better. Either my ears or my headsets are not working as well as I thought they were. But anyway, I'm here. Front Row Knowles is here. Should we do a show? We should. So you feel better than Saturday night? And better than last Wednesday. Okay. I think we all felt better. It, it becomes the conundrum of are we taking moral victories? I'll say the answer is yes. At this point, we'll take the victories wherever they come. Here's the thing. I thought Florida State's effort was really good. They played hard, and they have made progress. You can't deny that the offense and special teams are better. I mean, it's the advanced metrics show it. I mean, the eyeball test shows it. Special teams, we talked about this earlier this week. I mean, when you're putting it in your backup kicker and your backup punter and the results are what they are, I don't think we have anything to argue about there. No question. Although nobody brought it up, we did get away with uh, hitting the punter the other night and there was no flag thrown. Well, he was blocked into the punter. He I, was. That's what I was told and I was watching the replay because I had a TV right above me when I was sitting in the booth and it looked like he was blocked into the I – mean, so, and you could see the, the official was right there shaking his head going, no, 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 He no, He no. was definitely blocked into him, and I had a, a line of sight with two officials, and neither one of them moved their hand, and so I thought right, – and then the Virginia fans went crazy and yep. all that, whatever. Um, so, those, I mean, clearly, the, clearly there's progress. I think the question becomes – can you get that effort every week? And I hope the answer is yes, because and there's there's lots of deficiencies. Those will be there, but effort can solve a lot of issues. What's the one thing that is completely controllable? We effort. Just, we just said it. Effort. You can completely control that. Yeah. So time of possession has been a big topic this week, as in, or in that, FSU doesn't possess the ball an awful lot. That's not news. That's, is what, the, that's what this offense does. And a lot of people have tried to explain that away or minimize that by saying that Virginia only ran six more plays than Florida State ran. My take on that is that's someone that really hasn't played defense because when you're on the field, whether you're standing or running, you're on the field. Your blood pressure is up. Your heart's elevated. I mean, I equate it to soccer, and you told me before the show this wasn't a good analogy, but soccer person is moving all the time, right? But only about 20% of the time are they sprinting. The other part of the time, they're jogging position. But they're moving all the time. So that must not be very tiring because they're only sprinting 20% of the time. I think – so the context of this, Boise ran 105 plays. The defense was definitely tired in that game. No question In this game, it was 76 plays or whatever. It's the same amount of plays basically that would have been run if you were – running Jimbo's offense in September. 40 minutes on the field. So I think the bigger issue is if you actually look at the third and fourth quarter, because FSU went three and out in between two long Virginia drives, it was like 20 out of 23 plays was the defense on the field. But beyond that, where I see the fatigue, I see it on the defensive linemen because they're playing, and I'm talking about the, the big three, they're playing the majority of the snaps, and I haven't seen the snap distribution, but it's not a 50-50 split with Marvin Wilson and Cedric Woods. Plus, they're big guys. Right. It's, it's harder for the big guys right. to move, no question. The, those guys are playing, I'm talking about Durden and a uh, big fellow whose name is Cooper. Cooper. 
are they playing three quarters of the snaps? I mean, I don't know what the distribution is, but those are the guys I've seen fatigued. In the case of against Virginia, uh, Nasraldeen went out for two or three series, so Becker had to extend himself longer, and somebody else was nicked up in that time. Plus, Kendo went out. I'm just talking about the safeties. Oh. So you didn't have your normal rotation there in terms of getting a little bit of rest. And yeah, Kando goes out, and so now Robinson's playing a lot more. And I what think- happens there is your backups, which are normally playing 20 or 30 plays a game, are now playing 50 or 60 plays a game. And even though it's the third game of the season, you still got to get into that type of shape. The bigger question, and this is not going to be a perfect analogy, but the bigger question to me, and the one that's being posed is, how much do you need to adjust your offense to accommodate the defense being tired? And Kendall has said, it's my job to score points. And so I think, and I agree, I think if you look at the deficiencies on this offense, Florida State is using smoke and mirrors by using tempo to move the football. And so if they slow it down in the name of giving the defense a longer blow, they also are hindering their chances of scoring more points. Slash, people are still getting comfortable in this system. Now, when you're 100% comfortable and everything's functioning, well, then you can take the air out of it on some possessions, and maybe you can buy a minute or two more. I just don't think that time is now. And I think the other answer that people are pointing out is, it is legal for the defense to make a stop and get off the field. Yeah. The overriding thing, though, uh, for me, and, and every defensive coach is going to have to make their own decision, but I would not want to be a defensive coach or a defensive coordinator with an offense that runs the way ours does. There's just so many opportunities to not show well. And some, we were talking about it, some coordinators won't do it. Well, what happened to Kevin Steele? Exactly. Kevin Steele went to Clemson. And all of a sudden, they started running tempo, and he gave up 70 against West Virginia, and that was the last time he collected – well, it might not be the last time he collected a check from Clemson, but it's the last time he was wearing Clemson gear. And now he's at Auburn, and they're playing pretty well. And and where did Clemson go? They went and got Venables, who had been at Oklahoma, who was already running tempo, if you will. Exactly. So he embraced it. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's definitely a different school. I think what it comes down to, though, Keith, and and we talked about this after the Boise game, this zone is so soft – Although it was better. It, I will tell you, it was better. It's still too soft, but it was better. But that I, wasn't I know a, you don't agree with me. But no, 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 no. I won't disagree with that, but that's like saying the run defense was better. It was, and I think they fit their gaps better, but I don't think Virginia's a very good running team. I mean, the leading rusher on the Virginia football team is the quarterback, not the tailbacks. So but I think the quarterback should have been sacked about eight times and was sacked once. Right. And I guarantee you those seven not, other times he completed a pass because he was running around. I'm not disagreeing. There was definite progress. What I was going to say about the zone, though, is – and whether to me, you just – this goes back to you have to be more aggressive defensively. You can't die the 10-play drive. you got to walk your safeties up to help with the run support. you got to play some press man, and if you get beat <coughs> – You You get get beat beat. in two or three plays, and they score a touchdown. I mean, like Louisville this week is not a throwing team. They're a running team. So why not put everybody in the box, say, we're going to take away the run, and if you're going to beat us, your your quarterback's going to throw 70-yard completions on us. There is a lot to be said for that. That would balance the time of possession out and get more possessions. Obviously, you'd want to, quote-unquote, balance what you're doing, but you would skew more towards being pressure-oriented. The thing that was – frustrating to me is that fsu's pressure was good perkins much better than advertised in eluding the rush yeah he was really good he he was almost charlie ward ish or esque in his ability to feel pressure peel out of there create more time uh he was very impressive you know what'll make us feel better i'm hoping today being a special day will make us feel better it's national cheeseburger day Oh, do tell. $5 off the Madso Burger all day. So if you're listening to this show live, you've got, I don't know what time they close, way past my bedtime, but you've got time to race Head on down. to Madso. Uh, $5 off on the Madso Burger. I'll be there Friday night, the uh, block party. Adam Doliak is the entertainment this weekend. So maybe I'll see you on uh, Friday night out there. Sounds good. We'll, I'll, be, uh, I'll be there Thursday night at a reception. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Somebody invited you to a reception, or are you the hired help? No. <laughs> well played. All right. Uh, Keith and I just set the table, speaking of uh, receptions, and uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and clean it up with Patrick Burnham, our Osceola insider, right after this. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles.
Miles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. We welcome you back to Front Row Knowles. Time to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to our Osceola insider, Patrick Burnham, who joins us right now. Let's talk some more Florida State football. Pat, how are you? Great, guys. Thanks for having me again, as always. You bet. Should be a good conversation. I think most of us feel better about what we saw on Saturday night. But before I make that assumption on your behalf, do you feel better in light of what you saw on Saturday night? Oh, uh, certainly, you know, after the ULM game, uh, I think I was like most people, what's going to become of this season? Uh, there didn't seem to be a lot of hope despite coming off a win. Uh, you know, you could say that they were lucky to get that win, and that was very dis- very distressing, I think, to Seminole fans. And, of course, uh, I thought they had their best defensive performance of the year against Virginia, and I think that gave everyone a little bit of hope coming out of that game. We'll get to the Jim Levitt and the defensive conversation in a minute. But Keith and I, in the first segment, we're talking about the time of possession topic that's been out there. So I'll just ask it to you this way. Is it, is it the offense's job to possess the ball to rest the defense, or is it the defense's job to get off the field? Well, obviously, I think to answer the, first, uh, the second question first, yeah, the defense is responsible for getting off the field. But, you know, this is football, and there's got to be some complimentary play. Uh, that has to happen between the offense and the defense. This is the ultimate team game, as we have talked about before. Uh, certainly the tempo offense has been a great benefit and the improvement we've seen from Florida State on offense this year. Uh, their points are up, their yards are up, the rushing game's improved, and some of that has to do with tempo and keeping the defenses off, off its, on its heels. But Certainly, there are going to be points in the game where you are going to want to control the football and milk the clock. Pat, I am of the opinion, and others disagree with me. See what you say. Virginia ran seven more plays, I think it was, than FSU did. But FSU's defense was on the field for 40 minutes. I'm of the opinion it's time on the field, not the number of plays that fatigues the defense because you're on the field. Your blood pressure is elevated. Your heart's racing. You're trying to watch. You're trying to pay attention. You're not over on the bench. You're not drinking water. You're not sitting. And so it's much more important from a fatigue standpoint, the amount of time you're out there, not the number of plays that the other opponent runs. Your thoughts? I agree. I mean, it's, it's totally, you're, you're right. Your energy level, your adrenaline pumping when you're on the field, whether you're resting, you know, you're getting ready for a play one way or the other when you're on the field. And certainly I think that takes more energy out of you than, going over and uh, sitting on the bench for a few minutes and getting a chance to get some water, get hydrated, and get get off your feet and get a little rest. So I, I don't disagree with you at all, Keith. Let's finish up on the offense, and then we'll get back to the defense with this point, which does tie to time of possession because of the, the penultimate drive, James Blackman misses a throw to Trey McKitty that would have advanced the chains and at least given Florida State three more plays and another possession. Would have been an even number of plays potentially if, if, if you make that conversion. My question is, and I know Blackman has graded out all right, and when you look at the statistics, I mean, he's in the top third probably of quarterbacks nationally. I mean, he's in the top 40 in the rankings out of 130 on, uh, you know, on, on most of the scales. Is, is he the best bet for FSU? And I know there's other variables at play because the team loves him. Or should they give some, some uh, opportunities, a couple drives, not name him the starter, uh, to the number two QB? I think it would help long term. I mean, obviously, the I thought they were going to. My opinion was they should have played two quarterbacks against Boise State. Uh, the system's new to all those quarterbacks, right? They haven't played in this system. Uh, I would think that you would want your backup quarterback, whoever that is, to have some experience in game settings, whether it's late in the game or when the snaps actually. Of course, every snap has mattered this, this year for Florida State. Uh, you know, they have not been in a game where you consider trash time. So, uh, yes, but I think I was surprised that they have not inserted Horny Brook into the game at certain points and getting him some experience in that offense because, as we all well know, uh, playing in a game is much different than playing in practice, and we've seen that from both the offense and the defense. So, uh, I, I, you know, I'm of the opinion that, yes, they need to get the second-team quarterback some snaps in game action. 
Pat, one of the things that has come out that I was not aware of, maybe others were, it's begin to begun to be talked about, is the fact that that Blackman is excitable. And he gets up and he gets down. He really gets down when he makes a mistake because he cares so much. Uh, you, you know, after the ball game, uh, he, he looked distraught. You know, somebody had you know stolen his girlfriend and taken his dog and you know went off with his John boat too. Uh, I mean, he just looked like he was completely depressed. Wouldn't it help him to have Hornibrook or whoever go in for a series or two so that he can go over on the sidelines and catch himself? I mean, if, if you are an excitable player, particularly at the quarterback position, wouldn't some time to to decompress during the game be helpful? Well, certainly, and it would give the coaches some chance, a chance to settle him down. Uh, you know, and uh, let's face it, Hornybrook has been in a lot of high-pressure, high-profile games in his career. And, you know, I think that would help might help settle the offense down a little bit. Um, then, of course, you know, there's a mentality of a quarterback, and I think you've got to be similar to being a cornerback on defense. You've got you're going to be in the most high, involved in every play, and some of them are going to be big plays, whether they're good or bad. And you've got to be able to forget about it, move on to the next play. That's one of those positions where you can't get you really got to go on to the next play, no matter what happens. You can't get lost in the negative when it happens. You've got to have a short memory of the quarterback. Uh, I think that yeah, I think you will. If you went back and looked, the most successful quarterbacks have the ability to put what happened, whether it was good or bad, behind them and move on to the next play. Let's move on to defense now. First, for context, as Jim Levitt comes in as an analyst last week, you worked with Jim Levitt at uh, at one point. What give our listeners uh, some context of how you know Coach Levitt or or how long you uh, overlapped and professionally with him? I worked with for Coach Levitt for four years. Uh, one year, my first year as director of high school relations, and then my last three with him were director of player development at USF uh, before uh, they brought Skip in to be the head coach, and I continued on with Skip, but. Uh, yeah, that's that's my that's my association with Jim. So, side note: before the game the other night, he was running sprints up and down the sideline while the team was in its <laughs> drills. So, I guess he's wound pretty tight, or that's just the norm for <laughs> yeah, him. He has always done that <laughs> ever since I have known him. Uh, you know, he would used to go. He was always the first guy at practice at USF, and he, you would see him running up and down the field. He would jo- he jog to the building from the building to the practice field and jog back. Uh, you know, he had a rule that uh, when we hit the practice field, when you got to the gate to enter the practice field, you had to sprint through the first life pole. Uh, that guy loves the game of football. I think it's his first love, and uh, not only is it his profession, but if you I followed him on Twitter uh, after he left Oregon, and he spent all of his offseason going to pro football teams to watch uh, OTAs and to spring practices all over the United States from UCLA to Florida, so and Florida State, of course. So uh, he is a man that is passionate about football and uh, has a tremendous amount of energy. Very detailed guy, very demanding of his players and his coaches, and uh, he is one of the most focused people I've ever met in my life. I'm told I didn't verify, but I was told that the defensive unit was stretching in the IPF. And were generally uh, prior to his arrival used to just walking out to the grass practice fields, and that's no longer allowed. As soon as they get through stretching, they sprint to the grass practice fields. Uh, do you have any insight into that? That's what well, I was told. I, it was one of the first things that I noticed yesterday. We just happened to, the media is allowed in for ten minutes a week during the season, uh, and uh, it just happens to be on Tuesdays, which is the first day of practice for the game week. And uh, I did notice, I heard his voice, and that's the first thing that caught my mind, caught my attention. It was I remember that voice, and there were some guys that were walking from the indoor facility out to the defensive field where the whole team was starting to practice, uh, do an old drill, and I could hear Coach Levitt, you know, let's go, let's go. You know, I mean, uh, he does not like he does not like walking uh, on the field at any particular time. Uh, he would routinely. Uh, during practice at USF, if a kid walked onto the field or did not uh, sprint on and jog off, he would make them come back to the huddle and go back to the sideline and do that until they are take them off the field. So yes, that's 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 Coach Lovett uh, through and through. 
It's the little things. I can't speak for you, Pat, but uh, Keith and I wouldn't be well served by hanging out with him because there's not a lot of running that goes around in our lives. A lot of walking, hey. a lot of slow Front walking. row knows like to ride. <laughs> we don't like to run. <laughs> hey, well, at our age, I think we I think we earned a slow roll, right? <laughs> hey, so the the big story in terms of uh, it's not so much scheme but personnel is that Jaden Lars would be moved outside and Leonard Warner moved inside. So do we think that came at the uh, suggestion of Jim Levitt or was naturally going to get there anyway because we've all seen that uh, and we saw the other night that Warner's maybe not the best guy to have in coverage on a on a speedy skill guy and that uh, Lars would be has struggled inside to fight off blocks all year. Yeah, I, I, you know, it could be a combination of two, Tom, but you know, I don't know that uh... – uh, Coach Levin had anything to do with it. He may have, but it was becoming apparent that uh, they that they needed to make that switch. Warner was struggling in space. I think everyone saw it, uh, particularly against Virginia. Uh, pass coverage was just not coming normal to him, and he was playing to the field side of the defense. So, uh, you know, I think it's you know his body type is best suited for inside linebacker. Uh, you know, I think he played some there last year. Uh, I think he gives them a bigger body to run downhill. And, uh, you know, we saw, actually saw some improvement of that. From Emmett Rice stood out to me a little bit on Saturday night. But, yes, I think that their skill sets are uh, better suited for that, what the move that they made uh, on Tuesday. Was I hallucinating uh, Saturday night, or did I actually see a linebacker drop in zone and tip a football? I believe that you did. <laughs> I believe that you did. You know, listen. Uh, Somebody grab a still shot earlier. and circulate just, it. Pay attention to the three four was going to take a little time. The injury to Josh Kando. Obviously, he's out for the year. Coach Taggart announced that. Uh, how does Florida State distribute those snaps now without him? Well, it you know, looks like uh, Thomas is going to be the backup to uh, Robinson based on what they did post injury. Uh, it certainly is going to affect them, uh, their ability to pass rush. He was one of the more effective pass rushers. Uh, he had struggled a little bit against the, the run in the 3-4. Uh, I think he was more comfortable in the 4-3, but uh, certainly it's going to affect uh, FSU's ability to get to the uh, passer. He is, uh, he, you know, he was a talented pass rusher and a talented athlete, a big guy that, uh, you know, that had with developing within the system. You know, we talked to Coach Barnett about that today before practice. And he thought Joshua was getting better uh, in his in all areas of the three four from his boundary side outside linebacker position. So yeah, it's, it's, but for me, so what stands out to me will it'll affect the pass rush more than it will anything. As we wrap up, give us a, a thirty second thumbnail on the Louisville team we're going to see this weekend. Uh, totally different than the team you saw last year as far as effort. Uh, Scott Satterfield has done a great job getting that program. Turned around quickly. They are not a two. They were not a two and ten football team. I think you had some uh, uh, Petrino issues last year, and he's come in and uh, they're going to come. They uh, got two hundred forty nine yards against Notre Dame on the ground, and they are going to come out and try to run the ball against Florida State. Uh, and they're a little bit smaller defense. They're uh, from up front on defense. They're a little bit smaller up front. They're kind of like ULM from a size standpoint, but their linebackers are really active. All right, great information as always, Pat. Appreciate it. All right, guys, you guys have a great day, and we'll see you on Saturday. Sounds good. Thanks. Our Osceola insider, Patrick Burnham. You can uh, subscribe to the Osceola online at theosceola.com, $6.95 a month or $74.95 annually. Keith and I will react in a later portion of the show. Let's step aside right now in front row Knowles. We can do that. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Back on Front Row Knowles, Florida State and Louisville on the football field this week, 3.30 kickoff. But as we return to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, I'll pose a question to you, KJ. What is today's date? Today is the 18th of September. Are you aware that basketball practice starts officially next week, I believe? Uh, I was made aware of that about three minutes ago. Yes. Hard to believe. It is. But it's time to roll out the basketballs. And uh, as we 
sometimes do. I can't say always do, but once in a while we get lucky and we've decided we're on time. We looked at the schedule and we're going to talk basketball right now. And Trent Forrest is on the line. Trent, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys? We're doing great. So what day, I, I mean, I know you guys have your off-season conditioning and the coaches can only work with four players at a time and all those NCAA rules. When is the first official day of practice? Uh, the first official for us is next Friday. So we'll, that's actually the day that we'll start it will be next Friday. All right, so we're uh, we're nine days away. So here's the million-dollar question, and I know you've been asked it a lot, so you must have a lot of millions at this point. How's the toe? How's the toe? Um, it's doing way better. It's feeling a lot better than what it was, that's for sure. <laughs> so it's doing good. I'm just, I mean, getting myself back into the rhythm of things, and it's starting to feel a lot better, kind of feel, feel normal again. Can you take us a little deeper into that? I mean, it was referred to as sort of turf toe throughout the season, but you had surgery pretty quickly after the season. What what yes, was sir. it? How long was the rehab? Are you 100% right now? Um, so it, it really wasn't turf toe at all. I had tore my cartilage off of the, basically off the top of my bone, of my big toe. So they had to go in and basically replace it and put like new cartilage that could go in together so they did that that was probably in april so then i was out for i mean basically the whole summer i mean the first couple months i was in a podcast and then i got into a walking boot so just during that time i really wasn't able to do much just like lifting weights up with body doing a lot of form chewing so that was kind of just my rehab up until that point and then um, I would say probably midway through the summer is when I could start kind of doing range of motion stuff again kind of getting the flexibility back in my toe and just working on kind of just the lower half of my body kind of getting it back used to kind of using the muscles that I wasn't able to use for the time that I was out but I mean eventually I was able to go kind of full speed the last week of summer school which were our last couple workouts so they just worked me worked me back in kind of the last month of summer school, just little by little, and and I mean now I'm, I'm starting to feel back to my normal self. Trent, one of the things that impressed me most about last year's group was the fact that you guys got along so well. The the chemistry and the camaraderie were very very evident, and obviously each team takes on a new personality. But how how has the summer gone? As you've assimilated a couple of the new guys, as you've uh, operated with some of the guys gone, what what's it been like over the summer from a team standpoint? Um, it's been great. I mean, I feel like this year we'll have another team that's I mean, just as close as last year, um, just we brought in the new guys the right way, just kind of showed them how things worked around here, and they were able to pick up on it quick, and I feel like that's going to just help us as we get farther and farther into the season. So I would say just for our chemistry-wise, it's it's still going to be basically the same as last year. You're going to see guys that play hard and like playing with each other. and I mean, you'll be able to see that on the court. I mean, even now, you, you always see at least a couple of us together wherever wherever we're at. So the chemistry is definitely there just like it was last year. Well, Coach Ham's done it again. I, I find this hard to believe, but I'm told I'm told there's three seven-footers going to be wandering around uh, in the Tucker Center. He, he, Coach Ham likes his big guys. He really does. <laughs> he does. He does. I don't know how he does it, but some, he, he finds a way to find him at least two to three seven-footers each year. <laughs> I'm pretty sure as uh, humankind evolves, Keith, that if at some point the world is down to only two seven-foot males, they'll both be wearing garnet and gold and be on Leonard's roster. <laughs> and he'll still look like he's age 54 yeah. at that point. Never for Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking with Trent Forrest. Trent uh, Leonard has a new uh, assistant with him this year in Steve Smith. I'm sure you've met him. What can you tell us about Coach Smith? Um. Coach Smith, I mean, he, he's an experienced guy. He, he's been around the ACC for a couple of years now with him being at Clemson. So he, he kind of knows the things that we do and how we play. And, I mean, he, he knows the guys that we're going to play against. So he's been at this level. He knows how to win at this level. I mean, he he's a great guy. Just, he knows a lot about the game of basketball just with his experience. And, I mean, he know, he knows how to develop his players. So, I would say that's just kind of the coach that Coach Smith is. He, he knows how to kind of get through to his player. He knows how to help them develop and get to where they want to go in life. 
and just he, he's a good person to learn from. That's what I would say so far, just of me being around Coach Smith. For you personally, Trent, and I think we've talked about this previously, and I don't know how much the injury and the rehab slowed you down on this, but but how many jumpers are you putting up a day to, to work on just getting more confident with your outside shot? With my toe when I was hurt, that's really all I could focus on. I mean, it was every day I was getting up 500 to 1,000 just form shots every day. I mean, I wasn't able to jump or nothing, but I was able to get in a chair and really just focus on just the form of my shot, the rhythm, and the way that my hands needed to be placed so that I could get get a good rhythm for my shot. So, I mean, it's been going good the, the whole summer, even up to now I'm still able to get a lot of shots up. And, I mean, I feel very confident with, with the time that I had over the summer to kind of just focus on that because it really was just a blessing in disguise just to be able to go and focus on what I needed, I guess, my work on, to work on the most. So, I mean, I feel really confident in my shot right now. And I feel like just that whole experience of being able to sit out and really just focus really just on my shot has paid off a lot for me. Trent, uh, as you entered this, a very important year, you're going to be the team leader, undisputed team leader. Do you ever sit down and occasionally think, you know, I, I, I grew up in Chipley. That's a real small town. And now I'm on one of the better teams in the ACC, the best conference in the country. Uh, do you ever take a, a minute just to catch your breath and enjoy what you're able, what you've been able to accomplish here in your career? Um, probably not as much as I want. I think, I think my parents, they definitely do more of that for me because they, they'll call me here and there and just be like, you, you've done a lot so far. And it's just, I mean, I really don't sit down and think about it a lot, but they definitely remind me, but. I mean, I feel like the more as I get into my senior year, the more that I'll take into consideration just the little things are just from where I started at to where I am now. But I know for sure if somebody would have told me this when I was in high school, I would have been like, ah, I, don't, I don't know now. But, I mean, I mean, it's great to see that. that I mean, I came to the school that kind of in my family, runs in my family, and now I'm able to kind of lead it and be kind of the forefront of the team. And that's probably the biggest thing and biggest blessing to me is being able to say like that I came from so so close and was able to be kind of that guy for us for the college team that I grew up watching so it really is amazing to see well I'll give you a little hint I did this my senior year some 40 years ago every year is a senior year for you now now that's true when when you when you get through with that workout Friday week when you get through with that practice you can say to yourself that is the first that is the last first practice I ever have to have in my college career. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, well, and the next step for you is going to be the next level. I know that's everybody's dream. So seeing what Terrence did this summer, for him to go from a second-round pick to getting guaranteed dollars because he played so well, and with Fee being there, and I know Chris had summer league, and that's not even counting you know, Isaac and Bacon and, and Beasley and the guys that, that you know as well. What is there a common theme, or what do they share with you about their pro experience? Understanding for the first three guys I mentioned, it's pretty brief right now. It's just been one summer. Yes, sir. Um, they just really all of them kind of tell me that the same thing is really just listen to the coaches. I mean, that's probably just the biggest thing I've seen from all of those guys. I mean, we seen last year with Terrence and Fee. I mean, nobody really thought they were going to be drafted at all. I mean, really until kind of the second, later half of the season. And that's just because they just stayed committed to focusing on the team and making sure that we were winning. And I feel like if I do the same thing, the rest is going to take care of itself. I mean, with, with Coach Sam and uh, the coaching staff that we have here, they know enough people to help me get to where I need to be. And I feel like if I just go focus on this year with this team, and do kind of the same thing that Terrence and did, just focus on winning and going out and playing hard and playing for, for my team. I feel like that'll just take care of itself at the end of the day. Final question for you, Trent. We'll let you get going. Are you are you cooking dinner while we're talking? I mean, are you changing a tire? What you got going on there? Oh, no. I was, I was actually I was at the cafeteria on campus. I was getting my lunch for the day. So that's where I was. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I was trying to figure it out. I was like, what's going on there? All right. Hey, good deal. We appreciate a few minutes of your time, Trent. Look forward to the season. It's going to be a fun year again. 
Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. All right, Trent Forrest from the uh, see. Now we we don't have to go to bed tonight wondering what was he doing while we were talking to him. I, I I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps. Hair on the back of my neck is standing up. Did you hear what he just said? Which part? It's about the team. If I take care of that, then everything else will fall into place. That's that's the consummate team player, and the consummate team player will get rewarded at the end of the day. Are you suggesting there's a lesson that could be applicable across the board? I'm just saying, do we have that on tape, Matthew? Can we send that to the football field house? The football field house? I hear you. Let's expound upon that when we come back. It's a good topic. Keith and Tom on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Anything was possible. Hit cruise control and rub my eyes. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. We are back on Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. Keith? Team first. Team first. Team first. First credit to Trent. And I am excited about basketball season this year. I've heard that Patrick Williams is the real deal. Here's the threat. We didn't talk much about personnel. Obviously, on the hoops front, this is a year that MJ Walker needs to take a step that we thought he might take last year. It's a year we all expect Devin Vassell to take a step, too because you lost a lot of bodies from last year. We'll have a lot of time to analyze that, but I'm hearing that the parts and pieces are are pretty good ones that are replacing the more known parts and pieces that departed. And we also saw last year at this time and talked about the fact that Terrence needed to develop a three-point shot in order to round out his game. He spent the time last summer doing that. We saw evidence of that during the 18-19 season. Well, Trent Forrest, in like fashion, Not necessarily just a three-point shot, but a jump shot. And we hear that uh, 500 to 1,000 a day uh, are being put up. If he makes the same type of improvement, you're talking three, four, five, six more points a game out of Trent, plus another one or two assists because when he becomes a shooting threat, teams will sprint to him and he can find people underneath for easier shots. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm very excited, very excited. This, by the way, this year marks the start of the 20-game conference schedule in ACC hoops. Any thoughts on that? I mean, it doesn't change the number of regular season games, but it's two fewer non-cons now. Well, you know, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, scheduling, maybe almost like football, you would you would schedule some early games uh, to try to get your team figured out and your rotation figured out and that type of thing. The one thing that the 20-game ACC conference, regular season conference schedule does is it forces you to play a couple of three games earlier in the year. So you don't have the opportunity to schedule, you know, four or five or six games to work on your rotation, get your kids acclimated and that type of thing, because in that stretch, you're going to end up playing a conference game now because of the expanded schedule. So I do think it changes the thought process. Uh, I think coaches, particular like Coach Ham, who, who likes to take his time in figuring out his rotation before he gets into the regular season, the ACC regular season, he may have to speed that process up because he's playing those two extra games. Well, including the season opener is at Pitt, and then you play at Florida. Those are your first two games. So there is no easing into the season right, this year. Right. You get Clemson in December at home, so you have two conference games before the holiday break. So that's a little bit of a difference. All right, there's, there's plenty of time to, to, to talk hoops. But going back to your point about team, I feel like part of it is today's generation, part of it is the sport, Part of it is people like us that feed this. I mean, there's a lot of noise out there about, you know, every running back, you should turn pro after three years because there's only so much tread on your tires. you you got to take care of you, 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 you. Uh, it gets exacerbated further because we're in this amateur model where they're not getting paid. You know, everybody else is making money. You go get yours. You weigh in now. Well, it, it, it is different. Obviously, the kids are different 
from the uh, pressures that are put onto them. Uh, they've all got advisors. Uh, in the back in the day, we called them hanger honors. <laughs> now they're called advisors. You had a bunch of kids, a number of kids like me, forty years ago, who had no aspiration of playing in the NFL. We we knew we weren't going to. So our job was to compete and play as well as we could at the collegiate level and get our degree. That that you, folks, uh, our listeners have heard me tell that story. Without without my grant and aid, it's very likely that I would never have gotten a college degree, or certainly would have been twenty six, twenty eight, thirty years of age when I had gotten it. Uh, all of the kids that are recruited now, I think, unfortunately have aspirations of playing at the next level. And as Jerry Rice says in the famous commercial, you know, only 2% go pro. Uh, it's a little different percentage on the football side, but the the point being the same. And as a result, Let me just there's a lot I don't think of, it's I don't think it's unfortunate that they have those aspirations. I do. Because you couple that with the hanger honors and the me first attitude and you completely lose the team concept. Or you diminish what I was going to say is that a broader perspective that that I'd love to do that, but it's the numbers are what they are, and so maybe I need to take care of other business and team first. I, I, we're we're kind of going the same place. I'm, I'm, I'm just not, saying it's very obvious that there's selfishness, too much selfishness in today's football, college football. World. You're talking across the board, not just at FSU. You're correct. talking it in general. Correct. Now we we we've got our we got it in 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 heaps and mounds here in Tallahassee. But it, in my opinion, it's that way everywhere. And we just see it because we pay attention here. The reality is, and we saw this with Andrew Luck, we're going to see more guys that are walking away from the game uh, because of what it does to you. I mean, we're kind of in this, just get your second contract and then whatever happens, happens. Because you can get your second contract and get paid and walk away and you're still 26 or 27. And you've been beat up for seven or eight years of pro ball, but move on kind of yeah. thing. And, and and the reality is also the truth in that the average career in the NFL now is down to 2.3 years or something. I had occasion to go onto one of the data websites, data points, and was looking up some salaries because I had a question asked of me about somebody unimportant. And I found a database that had every contract in it. And so I scrolled all the way down. And uh, the total value of NFL contracts as of the time I was looking at it and the way they put it together was in excess of $9 billion. But the average life expectancy in football terms is 2.3 years. So there's a, a, a small group making a lot of money and a very, 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 very large group making significant money as you and I sit here, but not significant money compared to the norm. And it's a business. I mean, all you got to do is talk, talk to former athletes, uh, whether they were there two years or 12 years. And, and it's a rough business, but it is the aspiration of a lot of people. Really, we're speaking to entitlement to some degree. To some degree. And yes. it's the era where you not only have to recruit the kid, you then have to recruit him again when he gets negatively recruited by whatever school. And then he signs with you, but he's not playing. So you have to recruit him again because he's in the transfer portal. And so it just continues and continues. I mean, I don't envy the the coaches in that situation. I I had an opportunity to to sit down and evaluate, knowing that I wasn't going to play professionally, and say to myself, self, I had a lot of those conversations. Self, did I want to go into coaching? And and Jim Gladden, who brought me to Florida State, longtime assistant, uh, good friend. Um, I saw his lifestyle and what he did. I saw his passion. He was called to it. I saw Jack Stanton, uh, who was my coordinator, um, and 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 what he put us through, and, and from a necessary standpoint. And I I did a quick evaluation. I didn't want that lifestyle. And you've heard me say, our listeners have heard me say all along, how would you like to have your entire career based upon the decisions of seventeen and eighteen year olds? I mean, I've got three kids. Kathy's got two. They're all above 7 and 18, but we were all together when they were all going through 17. And that my own kids would make decisions and do things that I would go into. What? How in the world? What did I do wrong? And now other kids, other people's kids are making those decisions, and my career is based upon what those decisions are. That's, that's a tough calling. I think that's the part we lose sight of when we have these discussions because the team's not doing as well as, as what we want it to for various reasons. Uh the faces 
are different faces than somebody that we had angst with or made the same mistake four years ago or eight years ago or 12 years ago or 16. For those of us who have been around, we've seen it a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about anything specifically right now, but I think it just adds up and we forget that the, the names and faces have changed. So all that said, let's go back to where we started this conversation at the top of the show. We both felt better about last week. Because we saw the effort. We saw some success. There were a couple of three drives where the defense was three or four plays of out. Uh, much better in run defense. Again, I don't think you can discount. I think you have to pay attention. I mean, you go back and look at the the loss to Louisville three years ago, four years ago, when they put up 60-something points, and, and Lamar Jackson. I'm not saying Perkins is Lamar Jackson, but as we talked about in the pregame on the, on the show, there were two quarterbacks last year that threw for over 2,600 yards and ran for over 900 yards. One of them won the Heisman Trophy. His name is Murray. He was the first pick in the overall draft. The other one's name's Perkins. He's the starting quarterback for Virginia. Whether they throw the ball well, whether they run the ball well, he is a dynamic player. And, and, and Florida State hung with him. That was encouraging to me. They didn't win, but they hung with him. And and you and I were commenting on the way back, uh, you know, some of the sacks that he alluded, again, repeating ourselves, we talked about in the first segment, were, were almost like watching Charlie Ward reincarnate. He just had a sense about him. And so I'm going to choose to give Virginia credit. I'm going to also choose to give Boise credit. And I think at the end of the year, when both of those teams are still in the top 20, hopefully they will be. Maybe, just maybe, we feel a little bit better. And I, for one, was one that was very, very upset. And I'm, I'm slowly working my way back. Working my way back. I'm going to say something that's completely at odds. I feel better about FSU for how it played against Virginia. But I don't think Virginia is as good as what I thought they were. I mean, I know that's completely contradictory. I, I, think, but, I think you're wrong. I think they are that good. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll obviously see. But to your point... Nobody's going to feel better about it, regardless of where Boise and Virginia rank, unless Florida State starts wins some ball games. Wins some ball games, and they have another opportunity this week against Louisville. And I'm interested to see what the effort is. There, there has it's easy because of the result, we lose sight of a lot of the progress that has been made. Well, the other thing I'm going to be looking for this is this, and, and this is on the coaches and the coaching staff. Um, and and Coach Taggart even made the comment during his Monday press conference. Uh, they've got to do a better job of disciplining players who don't know how to play winning football, whether that's extracurricular activities or whether that's playing time or whether that's both. He's on the record. I want to see it. And I'm sorry. Our listeners know we don't have to name names. You could pick them up easily if you follow Florida State football. There's some kids that need to sit, and there's some kids we haven't seen that need to get some playing time. That is one of the things I'll be looking for on Saturday as well. This, the name I'm going to mention doesn't necessarily fit in what you just made, but I, this is an offensive player that has not played to his potential or capability yet, and that's Tamari and Terry. And he, he's a beast when he wants to block. And I realize that Blackman has missed him on some throws. I mean, he missed him on what would have been a game-tying touchdown that would have been a 50-yarder or whatever. Um, but there's more there, and it really speaks to the bigger picture that I want to see better blocking from the receivers across the board, or else I don't want to see any more receiver screens. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, but, but that is an area, I, 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 uh, for, as, for as good as Akers has been, Terry can be dynamic too, and we haven't seen enough of it. Yeah. By the way, did you catch the little, um, I'm not going to call it a misspeak, but I'll just say the um, giving of a little information and then taking it back when Coach Taggart was addressing that last play? My opinion, that was supposed to be a pass play. Akers was supposed to throw that ball. Yeah, well, Willie stopped on Monday and didn't want to get into that. I I didn't really think about it at the time, but then when I heard his comment on Monday and I went back and replayed it in my mind, that was was supposed to be a pass. And um, and it just didn't get executed correctly. Pretty good call. I'm not getting it. I have no problem with that last sequence, by the way. You and I probably disagree on that. No, I know no. I know they lost a couple of three seconds, and maybe they should have spiked, blah, blah, blah. But that was a good call and a good time against a defense that was, was gassed a little bit. Um, so I don't have a problem in the world with that call. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with the sequence either. I, I know a lot are saying they should have spiked the ball. And uh, 
That gives the defense time to catch their breath. It also, in the case of the other night, gives a chance for the clock to run out because as evidenced on the previous play, when the clock operator let two, two to three seconds run off, you could spike it in two to three run up. Now, I know in that scenario they would have reviewed that and determined that there was still one second left. So it, it probably wouldn't have happened, but that's a lot to process when you're racing up to the ball and thinking, I see this clock ticking, we better just run a play. Exactly. And I think that's where the disconnect probably happened is, you know, there's the center and, and there's and there's acres, but there's others going, Are we are we running well, a play here? Yeah. Are we are we killing it? And that that's where some of the criticisms come from it. I do think when you look at the hurry up offense, on the surface you say it's a tempo team, so when you get in the hurry up offense, it should be no problem. But the the part that's missing there is that when you're running tempo throughout the course of the game, you're on neutral downs and you're either going to run or pass. When you're in a hurry up situation, you're going to pass, they know what you're going to do, and your offensive line is exposed and it's it's not the same thing. Plus there's the pressure factor that everybody feels too. Exactly. And again, you go back to, to Blackman and, and I'll use the term excitability, and I don't mean that as negatively as it sounds, but as has been reported and talked about, he is emotional. And one of the things you would hope your quarterback is, is very unemotional. I mean, that was one of the things that was a, <laughs> reminds me, this has nothing, well, it has everything to do with it. But, you know, Charlie Ward requested Warwick Dunn to be his roommate when Warwick came in as a freshman. Charlie was a senior. And they were all staying in, in Burt Reynolds Hall then. They, they didn't have the new facility, and it's before the president's erroneously thought it'd be a good idea to make them part of the mainstream student population and so at burt reynolds happened the same thing at copal terrace when i was playing if you were in your room you just left your door open particularly in the in the summer in the spring and so warwick and charlie would be sitting in their room and they'd be watching tv and the door would be open and somebody would come along and see what they're doing sit down watch tv with them for 10 minutes get up and walk out somebody else would call me in water and charlie and, and warwick would not say a word they start. They started calling their room the library. <laughs> so Charlie was not excitable. Evidently, James is a little bit, which I love, but he needs to tone it down. Maybe, maybe. I'm I, not there. I don't know. I hear you. All right, we're out of time. We'll do this again uh, next week at this time. He's or, or we'll do a game after the. Oh, we'll right after the game too. That game. airs uh, Sunday morning at eight. Monday at six. This show Wednesday at six. We'll talk to you then. So long, everybody. Thanks. I